Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, and today's show is a special pre-recorded show, but that doesn't mean you can't get your questions answered. If there's a question you need an answer to, you just go to my website, that's www.agcoauto.com. Of course, that's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. That stands for Aldazan's Garage Company. And there is a prominent Contact Us button right there on every single page. If you hit that button, it'll take you to a little form. You fill it out. Tell me what kind of car you got, that sort of information. Send it to me, and I'll get an answer back to you right away, at least within 24 hours. you got to give me a little bit of slack because I am on vacation, but I always travel with my laptop, and I'll get that answer right back to you. And that's something I don't really mind. It kind of keeps me in touch with what's going on, and if you happen to have a problem or a question, I'm always happy to listen. So send that on over to me. While you're on the website, there's lots and lots of other good things you can do. Of course, there's detailed topics on there with a whole lot of good information on a particular topic. There's vehicle questions with over a 1,000 answers to questions, direct to the point things. There's a glossary where you can look up words that you may or may not understand. Anything that appears on that site is generally on there. If there's one that you don't find, you just give me an email and I'll add it to it. You know, another thing that you might want to look into is registering on the website. Now, that might sound daunting, but it's not. All you do is type in your email address and make up a username and a password, and it'll send you an email. You reply to that email saying that, yes, this is me, and I am a live, breathing human being, and that gives you additional things that you can do on the site. The only reason that we do that is cyberspace being what it is, there could be spam bots on there who could actually damage our server if we grant full access to them. So when you do register on the site, you'll actually see new menu items that'll appear that you don't see if you're not registered. For instance, you can actually download up to one year of the automotive hours right there on the website. There's also other things, and there's some real cool things that are coming up in a very near future. I'm not going to spill the beans on that, but just trust me, if you're a registered Agco Auto user, you will actually be able to do some neat stuff. Why don't you pop on there, see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com. I'm off messing around on vacation somewhere, but I've got a special treat. We've got a local early Ford enthusiast, Mr. Bob McCarron, with us. And Mr. Bob is going to go over the history, the evolution, and all kinds of stuff about early model Fords. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Lewis. What I'd like to talk about are the cars that I'm familiar with and that I also have. And get into the, the 40 Ford. Mm-hmm. Also, I have a 51 Mercury lead sled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're familiar with that one. <laughs> the James Dean converted <laughs> bathtub. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> You also have a 51 Fairlane and a 55 Fairlane. Well, it's actually 51, 51 Victoria. You're right. And that's the first year for the hardtop, mm-hmm. which, by the way, they also Chevy 3 to 1 on that model when All they brought right. it out late. Hey, you got a little jab there. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the, the shoebox Ford from mm-hmm. 49 to 51, and there's an interesting history on that we'll get into a little bit. Mm-hmm. And also the 56 Ford have is the NASCAR points champion in okay. 1956. That's right. So they have a big history. The old Y-Block V8, which yep. was brought out in 52 for the Lincoln and 54 for the Mercury and the Ford. That's right. You know, you were talking just a little bit ago about the 1940 model Ford. And I guess that is probably one of the cars most associated with the old bootleggers. Yes, yeah, so a 3940 Ford, essentially the same car. That was the bootlegger's vehicle of choice back in the 40s and 50s. Oh, yeah, and for a number of reasons. Yes, they had a great capacity for hauling moonshine. Yeah, that trunk was huge. I always wondered if Ford didn't kind of, well, we've got a market here. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? But you got a huge trunk. You could stick several cases of hooch up in there. 
And not only that, I think the one biggest thing is the flathead Ford V8. Yes, that was the hot rod engine back in that day. And even up into the mid-50s and early 60s, they were still racing on some local tracks. Very, very competitively. Now, they introduced the flathead in 1932. And at that time, it wasn't necessarily referred to as a flathead Ford. It was called a Ford V8. Because overhead valve engines really hadn't come into their own yet. They probably were some around. I think Chevrolet actually played with one around 1917, but they dropped it in 19 because they couldn't get it to work right. But it was just called the Ford V8. It wasn't necessarily called the flathead Ford V8. Right. That came later. Of course, the Oldsmobile, when they brought out their 1949 overhead valve V8, and then a month later, Cadillac, that was the first hot rod factory car. But the, the flathead Ford still maintain their lead with all the aftermarket speed equipment that was available oh yeah 1932 boy that's a long time ago for a v8 a lot of people think that was the first v8 it wasn't actually the first v8 but it was the first practical mass-produced v8 yes and it was cast in one block and whereas the more expensive cars that had the V8s were actually like two four-cylinders bolted put together. together or some kind of way. Yes. And those were expensive and generally only available in the very, very top-of-the-line luxury cars, whereas the Ford V8 was pretty much a car for the masses. Yes, that's true. Now, a lot of people don't realize the Ford V8 flathead was basically the last major project that Henry Ford himself worked on. Yes. After that, Henry kind of laid back a little bit and kind of went off deep end. <laughs> yes. we, can't, we can't say that and he, he passed away actually in 1948 mm-hmm. and of course henry ford ii who was his grandson uh-huh. was discharged from the navy to come back in 1940 to take over the company he actually didn't take it over until 40 43 44 somewhere in that area mm-hmm. the company was going downhill and it was way back in sales once the new cars came out in 1946 there were as you know no cars built during the war from 1942 they made very few models and mm-hmm. then from 43 to 45 it was all military equipment in 46 right. they brought out new vehicles yeah and ford actually did quite a bit of war production i know the jeeps that everyone sees they normally refer to that as a willis jeep and a lot of people think of them as a willis jeep but ford actually built as many as willis did correct uh, same exact design and blueprint but a ford jeep that looked just the same but the individual parts were different However, all the parts off the Ford will interchange with the parts off the Willis, which is one of the specifications. If you're on Guadalcanal and you need a brake lever for a Jeep, you couldn't say, well, is this a Ford or is this a Willis? <laughs> but Ford built 300,000, I think, and Willis built 300,000 of little Jeeps. And, of course, they built a lot of other things as well. But all production, basically from the end of 1941, when we got into the war in December, pretty much ceased and turned over to war production. So, like you said, from 42, I guess there was a handful that got out. Nothing in 43, nothing in 44, nothing in 45. In 46, they basically just kind of came out with the same old, same old. They didn't really redesign anything because it was so much pent-up demand that almost anything they put out there would be sold. And that's where the independents got to jump on the major manufacturers because they did bring out some new models in 47, 48. Mm-hmm which, of course, there was a big demand for cars, and uh, people had money, but there was a shortage on cars. So the used car market became very successful, and there were plenty of 1940 Ford Coupes around, Mm -hmm. and they became a popular car. Yes, actually still are. That's kind of a classic car of choice. I know we were up in Dollywood, oh, I guess a few months ago back at Easter, 
and there's a moonshine steel setup, and there's a 40 Ford sitting there. You don't have to take too many looks at it to see why the moonshiners really dug that car. <laughs> Huge trunk, big back seat, a lot of room for storage, and real fast. Yes, and they refer to it as a, a styling like the Lincoln Zephyr. And the person responsible for the styling, Etzel Ford, who was Henry Ford the first, that was his son. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he died young. He died in his early 40s in 1943, I believe. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, prior to that, he was successful in talking Henry Ford into buying the Lincoln Car Company, which was manufactured by Henry Leland and his sons. Mm -hmm. He also produced the first Cadillac, 1903. Yeah, Leland's Cadillac. And so he was responsible for the Cadillac and the Lincoln. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who actually ended up competitors. Yes. And you had Chrysler, Imperial, and Packard, and Pierce Arrow, and Mm -hmm. Peerless back in the days. Yeah. Yeah, so he was talked Henry into buying that. That way they had a upper price car and they had the Model A, but they needed a intermediate car, so that's how the Mercury was produced yeah. in 1939. Yeah, as an intermediate between a step between the Ford and Lincoln. Yes, it was E.T. Bob Gregory who was Etzel's head of the styling division, okay. and they kind of copied what General Motors had at one time. They had the arts and colors. Uh, Ford didn't have anything like that for mm-hmm. styling. E.T. Bob Gregory, Bob was his nickname, uh-huh. <laughs> and Etzel Ford were previous, well, they were responsible for styling the 39 Mercury, the Lincoln Zephyrs, which are very pretty cars, mm-hmm. and the 39 40 Fords, the 40 and 41 Lincoln Continentals. Mm-hmm. Ford himself, Henry, I guess, was more of a utilitarian sort of a guy. He built the T-Model and was extremely successful with it. So much so that that car dominated the car market to a degree that most people can't even comprehend today. I read one time at one point in history, three out of every four taxi cabs on the streets of Moscow were Model T Fords. That's market penetration. (laughs) Yes. And he kept it, some would argue too long, but he kept it all the way up until he came out with the A model. And then he was a bit reluctant to change the A model. Henry was sort of a conservative guy. I think Etzel was a lot more progressive in his thinking. Now, Etzel also had an idea for a car that didn't work out for whatever reasons, and that was the Etzel itself. Well, that was actually Henry Ford II, uh, Etzel's son, mm-hmm. the grandson of Henry Ford I. Okay. And that was brought out in 1958. There was a lot of marketing studies and all about what kind of car was needed. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of articles in the Time magazine, Newsweek magazine, starting late 56 through 57, a lot of hype about the new car and how it was going to be all different. And... As it turned out, of course, it wasn't that much different, Mm -hmm. but did have some styling features that made it quite unique. Some people liked it and some people didn't. That's right. And it was sort of a pricey car relative to the features it had. They actually had two models and they looked so much alike, you couldn't tell the more expensive from the lower price. They had, between the Ford and the Mercury, they had the Edsel Ranger and the Pacer. And that was on the Ford wheelbase, 118 inch. Then above the Mercury, between the Mercury and the Lincoln, they had two more models, which were on the big Mercury chassis, over 120 inches wheelbase. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you really couldn't tell. The trims were different. Of course, the interiors were a lot nicer. The engines were bigger on the more expensive models. But by looking at the car, you couldn't tell the lower price one from the higher price one. I think that was a marketing mistake. Yeah, a big mistake. Because when we're talking about an expensive car back then, we're talking about $2,500. As Probably. opposed to 15 for a cheaper one. 
And if a guy laid down an extra thousand dollars, he wanted it to look like he laid down an extra thousand dollars. He didn't want it to look just like the neighbor's car or whatever. But that was a car that it's kind of come synonymous, I guess, the word Etzel with, with a failure or a flop. And they really weren't that bad of a car. I know there's a local guy who used to rebuild some of those. He had several of them at one time. And it really weren't a bad car. It really wasn't anything inherently wrong with them. It wasn't wrong with everything else. But they just never did really catch on. It just didn't sell. Yes, in fact, at local raceways, they have a, a person. He races Mustangs, but he also has a 58 Etzel. And on the back windshield, it says the world's fastest 58 Etzel. There you go. <laughs> and he was probably right. <laughs> Now, what engine did the S? Did it have the Y block in it? Yes, they did have the Y block. They also had the FE blocks. And mm-hmm. those the big ones, they were over 300 horsepower. Yeah. And they were to compete with the, the big Buicks, upper-priced Oldsmobiles, Oldsmobiles mm-hmm. and the Lincoln. In the early 50s, the Lincoln was kind of downsized to compete more with Oldsmobile. Mm-hmm. But then they, by 58, it was huge, and they was back competing with Cadillac. Yeah. The original flathead v8 to go back to that just a little bit in 32 when it came out it was only 65 horsepower which doesn't sound like a whole lot but when you consider the four cylinders and six cylinders of the day that was a pretty powerful engine then i think they came along around 39 they bumped it up to 95 horsepower came out with a 239 cubic inch version and then in 42 they actually came out with a 100 horsepower engine and then i think a little later they actually came out with like 105 that went in some of the trucks they used during the war i think they had a 105 horsepower engine but the flathead always sort of had a built-in problem because the exhaust runs through the engine block. They always tend to have a problem with overheating. Yes, cooling and vapor lock problems because the heat mm-hmm. starting. They could actually crack the engine block, too, if they would get hot enough. I noticed the first ones that came out, I think, had a single water pump on them. And then later they came out with two upper radiator hose and two water pumps on them trying to keep them cool and it's just sort of an inherent flaw in the design where they're running exhaust gas through the engine block and it's going to generate a whole lot of heat particularly when it's under load and there's when if you had one of just a passenger car driving on the road you probably didn't have a whole lot of problems however if you start racing the car or if you put it in a heavy truck and put a lot of load behind it you are more likely going to overheat the engine and they actually had some folks who came along and tried to engineer solutions for that a few weeks ago, we talked about Zora Arcus Duntoff, who was an engineer, but he was an engineer affiliated with General Motors more than anything else, sort of the father of the Corvette. But he actually engineered a set of overhead valve cylinder heads to fit the flathead. Yes, I actually saw one of those engines out in Reno, Nevada, at Harris. No kidding. And I guess the, I walked right by it, didn't even recognize it as a flathead. Uh-huh. In my Mercury, I've gone through, over. I've had that car since high school in 1961 it was 10 years old when i got it and i was 17 but went through five flatheads over the years and i had all the vapor lock problems and the burning (laughs) of the valve problems but also along that line lincoln had the flathead it was the same as in the truck except the truck had the solid lifters and lincoln Mm -hmm. had the hydraulic and it was almost a 336 cubic inch flathead big flathead yes it was Mm -hmm. a pretty engine though when you dress it up oh i'll bet and, of course, when we get into the moonshine cars, so that's one of the things they did. They, they used to soup up those flatheads, and they'd put on the uh, Offenhauser heads. There were some other manufacturers that made those, and then multiple carburetors, usually three two-barrels. Yeah, that was a very popular. Three deuces. Yes. Yeah, that was very popular at the time. I don't know if they really had a good working four-barrel in the early days. The two-barrels worked out well, the old Strombergs and Zenos and all that. But the three deuces was the setup. You'd put three of them on there, and you could really go. And... 
talking about the old moonshiner cars, because I've always had a fascination with that. A lot of people know, but not everyone. That was basically the beginning of NASCAR. Yes. That's, that's where NASCAR came from. Bill France started NASCAR in 1949, and, of course, he went to the area where these guys were bootleggers that were running cars, and they had the professional drivers, too. And during the breaks between the qualifying of the professional drivers and the actual races, they would have the moonshine races. <laughs> well, that's where the fast guys and the fast cars were. <laughs> yeah. And they learned uh, actually on the road. You know, they, Junior Johnson, who is famous for that, being both bootlegger and a NASCAR driver. Oh, yeah. He said that the he learned a lot of tricks. One thing he developed good was known as the bootleg turn, where they turn a 180-degree turn and come yep. back towards yep. the regulator. So like on Thunder Road. <laughs> yes, Thunder Road. Robert Mitchum did a rollover and, and rolls. So. Yeah, that would be the ultimate uh, bootleg turn, which I think is a little <laughs> unbelievable, but it gives you the idea of what they did. He said that a lot of times they would block in his cars, and uh-huh. he would have to take to the ditch or to the banks. And one time he broke a wheel, but feds were after him, and they would stake him out and found out on the History Channel that they actually tracked some of the later ones with the uh, helicopters and the the bootleggers never figured it out how they where they were. <laughs> yeah, how did you find me? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're gonna take a quick little and break, but we'll be story, right back with more on the Automotive Hour. About the mountain boy who ran illegal alcohol. His daddy made the whiskey. Son, he drove the load. When his engine roared, they called the highway thunder. Hey, Clint, what's that? Take a look. It's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends. Okay. According to the Mayan calendar, the world goes kaput on December 21st, 2012. I got lots to do, neighbor. Uh, bog snorkeling? Punch a whale? Compete in the World Toe Wrestling Championship? I see Meet Julia Roberts is scratched off. Yeah, got her autograph, too. Really? Well, it's on the restraining order. Hey, shouldn't repair my car be on the list? What? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, it shimmies and shakes and leaking oil all over I the think bar- I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O. AUTO.com. On the 1st of April, 1954, the federal man sent word he'd better make his run no more. He said 200 agents were covering the state. Whichever road he tried to take, they'd get him sure as fate. Well, welcome back. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvan, and today's show is pre-recorded, so you can't call in. But you can always reach me by going on the Internet. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. If you just hit that contact button and send an email, I will get an answer back to you within 24 hours, even on vacation. Sitting there looking at the beautiful ocean and typing on my laptop. Today we have a special treat. We have local Ford enthusiast Mr. Bob McCarron. And Bob and I were talking just for the break about Junior Johnson and the beginning of NASCAR. Yes, Robert Glenn Johnson Jr. Robert known, Glenn Johnson Jr. Right. Known as Junior Johnson. He's probably the most famous of the moonshine NASCAR drivers. Mm-hmm. His dad operated a copper still in the Appalachians. And I guess it's a mountain range of North Carolina, Georgia, Kentucky, Virginia, Blue Ridge. Yeah, and someone may be able to correct me on that, but from what I've been told, the Smoky Mountains, the Allegheny Mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, 
they're all the same mountain range, just called different things in different areas. Yes, Blue Ridge. They talked about making runs to Meridian, Mississippi, and and all that. And they made moonshine from corn. They put it in six-gallon containers, and he learned to drive his dad's car, which was a 39 Ford at the time. Okay. When he was about 15, and he started making 10-mile runs with his dad following him in the truck just to make sure he was okay. He had two older brothers, but he was the best of the drivers. In the late 40s, he actually had uh, five or six of his own stills where he paid others to operate them, and he was hauling all over the south. And they would put five cases in the front to keep them from sliding. There were no seat belts back then. Yeah. They would put 14 cases behind the front seat okay. with, with no back seat installed. And then six, eight cases in the trunk of that 39 and the 40 Fords. And could haul 22 cases below the windowsill so you couldn't see them. <laughs> Which is very important. <laughs> in a 40 Ford, that's right. And he would drive from dusk till midnight and then return home in the afternoon. Yeah. He even went to Biloxi. He would get home late in the afternoon. Yeah, I bet he would. That's quite a run. <laughs> And the old movies, the old moonshine movies, of course, I guess Thunder Road with Robert Mitchum was sort of the classic movie. You wonder how much of that was reality and how much of that was Hollywood, but I think a certain amount of it certainly was. Yes, he talks, of course, in the movie, they use the shoebox Fords, 49 mm-hmm. and 51s, end up in a 57 Ford, but and the revenuers are using 57 Chevys. It's a pretty interesting movie. But Junior Johnson talked about, in a book and an interview, uh-huh. uh, about local highway patrol guy, Sid Carter. He would chase him in an old Buick, and Junior would stay just far enough ahead of him that he couldn't catch him. Yeah, just then, to make it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would speed up and do a bootleg turn, and that's a 180-degree turn, and come back towards him, pass him going the other way, and, and wave to him. So. <laughs> <laughs> some of those driving styles that they actually pioneered to avoid the revenuers have become racing maneuvers and the most recent one used at indianapolis this year yes actually junior johnson in a 58 race he was trying to qualify and he was way slower than the other cars so he decided to go out and follow some of the top qualifiers to see maybe what they were doing that he wasn't doing and while he was doing that, he discovered that he was actually what they call drafting today, where you're in the slipstream behind the other car. Mm-hmm. You actually are pretty close to that other car. You can't really do this on the highway behind a semi. Well, you don't really don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so they call that slipstreaming. And then at the very end, in the last lap, you would come in on the inside, and they call that the slingshot move for the mm-hmm. final lap. And you mm-hmm. could see that if you watched the Indianapolis 500 that was on a couple weeks ago. Uh-huh. That's a Japanese uh, race car. They tried to maneuver inside, but it didn't quite work because he hit a slick spot and ended up crashing into the wall on the other side. Ooh, I hate when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> but he Basically, actually developed that, and then it was copied by the other race cars. Yeah, and that's drivers. where you actually get right on the inside and then just more or less force your way on through or, yes. or come in and then force your way in. But if the other guy doesn't back off, I guess that can do, happen like this happened. <laughs> right. Someone and, was saying that in Indianapolis, that white line – is very, very, very slick, and I don't know why they have it there other than to determine that's the end of the track, but a lot of folks who have hit that have learned the hard way that the tires just can't grip on that white paint, and there's been a whole lot of cars slung off to the side on account of that. Yes, and uh, that was uh, evident in this last race (laughs) pretty frequently. Whenever I walked by the TV, somebody was sliding off into the wall, it looked like. Mm -hmm. Junior said the The main thing in the bootleg industry is honesty. He said he can walk up to somebody and tell right away if they're honest or not. Yeah. 
that's kind of a, a something you wouldn't think about in that kind of business. But in the 1949, then at North Wilkes Speedway, they had these bootleg races, which we talked about a little mm-hmm. bit before, between the qualifying and the racing. And in his first race, he took second place, and he was upset. Yeah, he was really mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> so from then on, he, he really put it, every effort into it, and he drove the cars long and fast and a lot of times he wouldn't finish the race. He would either finish with the checkered flag or he wouldn't finish at all until the cars were beefed up later about the mid-50s where they could actually take the punishment that he could give them to win those races. Yeah. And in 1956, he was arrested. Yeah. <laughs> he had just gotten back from winning a race, and his dad was sick, had overslept, and he asked him to go out and fire up the still. And the feds had a stakeout just at that time, and he was caught. So he thought he would get off, but he actually got, he served 11 months, and he was sentenced to two years, but he only served 11 months. Mm -hmm. And while he was in prison, he taught the other prisoners how to do the dairy farm, the pig farm, how to drive tractors. And he said he just got up early, 6 o'clock, and went to bed at 6 (laughs) p.m. Those guys, of course, I guess you'd consider them a criminal, but they're like choir boys combined (laughs) to some of the stuff we see today. Oh, yes. And... President Ronald Reagan, before he went out of office, actually gave him a full pardon and restored his citizenship, which I think was only right. More or less a pretty minor crime compared to a lot of things that go on today. Yes, December 26, 1986, it said that he gave a um, full presidential pardon. <laughs> for his 56th conviction. There you go. And I guess a lot of the folks who maybe were involved in moonshine to one degree or another ended up in racing, and a lot of them probably put their moonshine days behind them. And I don't know how many of them were and weren't. That's one of those things that you just don't talk about a whole lot, but we know a whole lot of them were. When he got out of prison, he was in prison up in Ohio, he mm-hmm. went back into moonshining. He would uh, race on Sundays and haul on Mondays. <laughs> so apparently he didn't learn. <laughs> <laughs> but he, well, he wasn't caught again, and he retired from the moonshine business in, in 1960. Oh, all right. So. He was making enough money in NASCAR that he could put the moonshine down. Yeah, I was about to say NASCAR has become quite a sport. It started out just a bunch of old hot rods running around a dirt track somewhere, and then of course it's grown up from there. And some of the big NASCAR races now, sort of like Daytona and what have you, they've they've just become more or less synonymous with the sports industry. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of fans. It's, it's kind of grown up. Now it's a real big professional sport. I don't think we have too many moonshiners in it anymore. <laughs> we certainly don't have any hand-built cars. <laughs> that, that's big, big time. Yeah, Junior Johnson, uh, he was one of the first. And, of course, he sponsored later Carol Yarborough and Daryl Waltrip and uh, others. And, and he retired, Junior Johnson retired in 1966 as the winningest driver Never to have a championship. He had 50 victories, 11 in major racers. Mm-hmm. There's a movie about him. I have not seen that yet. Huh. I made, made in 1973, and it's called The Last American Hero. Really? So I'm going to look that up and see if I can yeah. find it. Sounds good. Sounds interesting. Today we're talking about hot rods, moonshine, and old Fords. Mr. Bob McCarran, local Ford enthusiast. And while you can't call in because it's a pre-recorded show, you can always get your questions answered just by logging on to the website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Of course, that stands for Altazan's Garage Company. 
While you're on there, there's lots of other things you can do. Take a look at the vehicle questions. There's over a thousand of them. Short to the point answer to a direct question. You may very well find whatever you're interested in right there. Also take a look at the detailed topics. There's lots of those in there on how to do this, how to do that, how to check this. Lots of information on things like what is oil viscosity, should I be using synthetic oil or regular oil, information on actuators and stuff like that under the dash of cars, lots of good information on air conditioning. You want more information? It's right there. I also put one on there this morning with pictures of some of the old cars we're talking about, the 40 Model Ford, the 49 Model Ford. Pop on there, see what you think. Maybe you'll, you can remember some of these yourself. we got to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Now, me and my wife and my brother Joe took off my Ford from San Pedro. We hadn't much gas and the tires were low, but the doggone Ford could really go. Now, along about the middle of the night, we were ripping along like plain folks might, when a Mercury behind, he blinked his lights and he honked his horn and he flew outside. Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes and you've got about 30 movies. Yeah, you roll in here with that car with the brakes screeching and the bald tires, and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So, I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So no car repairs either, right? Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st? Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics, too. Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel. <laughs> I, I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Flew by us, I turned the other way, and the guy in the Mercury had nothing to say. For it was a kid in a hopped-up Model A. Yeah, just a hopped-up Model A. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, and today's show is pre-recorded, so you won't be able to call in, but you can always reach me on the website. Just go to www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. That stands for Altazan's Garage Company. And today we have a special treat, Mr. Bob McCarron, local early model Ford enthusiast, should I say. I don't see you driving too many late models. I don't see any Focuses or Tempos or anything there. <laughs> old Ford's new Chevys. <laughs> That's right. I noticed that about you. You've got some really nice old cars. The 51 Mercury, I guess, is probably the most modified. That's a custom. It's been lowered. Top has been chopped on it. Uh, it's got, what, a 327 Chevy engine in it? 350, 350? four-bolt main competition cam. Okay. It's got a chop top. It's uh, French headlights. Chrome and all has been wiped. The uh, nose and deck, that means the hood and trunk ornaments mm -hmm. are removed. It's got the lake pipes, the uh, 57 Dodge Lancer hubcaps. Sort of and, a beautiful emerald green. Yes, the color is a, a modern color. Mm -hmm. It's got the wide whites and custom interior by a local shop here mm -hmm. in Baton Rouge. And, yes, that's uh, the car I've had since high school. I got it in 1961, so it's a 51. Now, how much did you pay for that car when you got it? $200. $200 car. <laughs> and you still got it. <laughs> yes. Now, we don't want to talk about how much you put in it since then, though. No. <laughs> that we do not. I don't think I can add that high. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I tell you, just what you dropped at my shop is enough to... <laughs> my youngest daughter really appreciates that because I think you kind of put her through a couple of years of college oh, there. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <With> that one <laughs> <Thank> car. <you. laughs> and you've also got... The 51. 
Yes, a 51 Ford Victoria. That's Which is okay. more of a stock-looking car, sort of a crimson red color. Yes, it's a Victoria. It's got the comp cam Ford 302. It's all Ford. 302 C6, 9-inch mm-hmm. Ford rear end. Mm-hmm. And on the outside, it looks all stock. And that's the first year for the what they call the hardtop convertible, which is really not a convertible. But when you roll the windows down, you have no center post. And mm-hmm. it has the windshield from the convertible. And it also has the frame, the heavy-duty X-frame, X-frame box frame, frame too, mm-hmm. because there's no support there for the center post. And then I've got a 96 Impala SS with the LT1 Carvette engine. It's all stock. Bought it new in, in 96. Mm-hmm. And then I have a 56 Ford Fairlane Club Sedan. Now, that one is just about all stock. We just put a new Y-block in it or had the Y-block rebuilt in it. And for folks that don't know, when they quit building the flathead Ford V8, they came out with the Y-block Ford V8, and they kept that for a few years. Yes. In fact, they up into the 60s, they still used them in the trucks. Mm-hmm. So. That engine lasts a long time. It was more like an industrial engine, heavy duty. Yep. And when you look at it from the front and cross section, it looks like a deep V. And that's why they get called the a Y. Block. I had a 57 Ford, one and a half ton truck car carrier. I used to carry my race car on with a old 312 Y block in it. I think it's the only Ford I ever owned. <laughs> of course, it was hauling a 55 Chevrolet around, so that made it all right, you know. <laughs> They kept that engine in the old Ford trucks. They, that seems to be kind of a trend of keeping engines in trucks longer than they do in the cars. Like we are talking about with the Ford Flathead, when Ford quit building, they actually turned that over to Simca, which was a European company. And they actually continued building a Ford V8, Flathead V8, all the way up to 1990 in some of the military trucks they were building. Yeah, what's interesting, during the war, when they were still working on the designs for the cars that were going to be brought out after the war. Ford actually had seven models, uh, distinct models that they were going to bring out. And one of them was a compact Ford that they sold to the French Ford company and called the Vedette, which later became the Simca. Uh-huh. And I had a 59 Simca, Boy. but that was uh, <laughs> after they changed the body style a little bit. But the original ones that they brought out, the Vedette in the 49, looked like a miniature Mercury, had the same fadeaway fenders. And a lot of guys, not a lot of guys, but a few guys from Australia and such have found some of those and have customized them into lead sleds, miniature yeah, lead sleds. miniature hot rods. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of cool. Folks who are interested in old cars or have classic cars, there is an organization of which you're a member. You're a member of the Baton Rouge chapter. But tell us a little bit about the organization of folks who have the old cars and are interested in old cars. Yes, it's the AACA, the Antique Automobile Car Club of America. Mm-hmm. It's a national club, and it's centered over in Hershey area. And, they, of course, they have the big Hershey swap meet every year mm-hmm. in that area. They have a museum now. And all, and we're, we have eight chapters here in Louisiana. Now, they put out a national magazine when you're a member so you can learn about the events all over the nation. Mm-hmm. And they put that out four times a year. It's a quarterly and the memberships is not that expensive. I think it's for here, you know, 50 bucks. Uh, you get to join the regional, the chapter, and the national. Mm-hmm. And we have each of our eight chapters here in Louisiana. We put on an event each year. Sometimes they will combine and put on an event. We recently put on a bicentennial celebration uh-huh. of the state of Louisiana. And mm-hmm. that was on May 4th. 
And we visited the Perique Tobacco back yeah, St. out James in St. James. That's right. And you're one of my ancestors, actually the one, Pierre Chenet, is the one who actually developed the Perique Tobacco. He saw the Indians growing it and somehow hornswoggled them into teaching him how to do it. And that's the only place in the world where Perique Tobacco is grown. Yes, they call it the greatest mystery crop in the world. <laughs> yeah, and it's too powerful to smoke directly. If you made a cigarette or a cigar or a pipe, of Perique tobacco, it'd probably blow the back of your head out. But they used the flavor of the tobaccos. They put a tiny amount into other tobaccos, and that's how they actually use the product. But yeah, Pierre Chenet is the guy who developed that, and I think members of his family are probably still the ones in charge of it. Yes, I believe uh, it's amazing. It's just a small area down there that has the factory. Mm -hmm. And the tobacco, they had a sample of the cigarettes that it goes into, and most people don't smoke in our car clubs but there yeah. were a few smokers and they tried it <laughs> your car club here in baton rouge is very active they put on several events and they have a cruise once a year well we have a fall tour mm -hmm. some of the car clubs put on car shows some of them put on tours cruises rallies we always put on a a tour which we visit some of the old homes mm -hmm. and some of the sites around this year of course we did that perique tobacco we also mm -hmm. did the bocage plantation which has just been open within the last year or so and we visited the saint michael's catholic church down in the saint james parish mm -hmm. and they put on reenactments and they had uh, a lot of activities going on because they had a fair going on and we were able to enjoy all that now we also had banquets on friday and saturday well a banquet on saturday was mm -hmm. where mr uh, john copes he's our eldest member he was honored uh, judges honor society committee national member john meyer came down and gave him a an award for all his years of service wow. in judging and mr copes has some really really nice cars over the years oh yes unfortunately he lost a lot of them in a fire but he was able to sell them they were salvageable and they're Someone being restored them and maybe restore them again yes yeah he had a T-Model Ford that was absolutely pristine. He was a national winner, and he built it himself years ago. And he learned uh, a lot, he said. A lot of new words and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of mechanics. Yeah, mechanics do tend to learn a lot of words. <laughs> Having been one for 45 years, <laughs> my vocabulary has greatly expanded as a direct result. <laughs> Very active organization and a good, good organization. And if you're interested in old cars, even if you don't have one, it's a good thing to join a club like this. Kind of start hanging out with some of the guys that do. And a lot of times you will actually find a car just through the club because a lot of people know of other cars and so on. So if you have an interest, even if you don't own a car, something you might want to look into. I think restoring an old car is just good, clean fun and something you can enjoy with your whole family. Rather than buying your kids a car to go to school, why not get an older car and restore it? Start working on it before it's time to drive. Not only will they learn a whole lot, learn how to take care of a car, but they may get a career out of it. You never know. I think it's something they'll really enjoy. Hey, we got to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? I'm putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? 
Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes. My car can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars action figures. Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, Okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Well, you've heard the story of the hot rod race that fatal day when the Ford and the Mercury went out to play. Well, this is the inside story, and I'm here to say I was a kid that was driving that Model A. It's got a Lincoln motor and it's really souped up, but that Model A body makes it look like a pub. It's got 12 cylinders, uses them all with an overdrive. Hi, welcome back. If you join us, this is the final segment of the Automotive Hour. Today's show is pre-recorded, but you can always reach me by going to the website. That's agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. And while you're on there, you might want to click on the detailed topic that came out just this morning. And there are photographs and pictures of all the cars that we're talking about. And we're talking today with Mr. Bob McCarron, local Ford expert. And I know he didn't want that expert word put in there, but I'm going to stick in there anyway because I think he qualifies. We were talking during the break about the cars from 48 back were basically one era of cars. That was what we considered the classic cars. From 49 up is more of the modern car. They start to streamline them, take the fenders off of them, and that sort of thing. And the 49 Ford was basically a very good example of that. Yes, the 49 Ford was the first modern car, they say. It was slab-sided. There's no fender lines on it. And what's interesting is it was developed quickly by an outside design firm. And Ford Henry Ford II had hired Ernie Breach, and it also hired Harold Youngren. These people were from Oldsmobile, Borg Warner, and mm. other companies. And Henry Ford II, he hired these people to come in and run the company. Mm-hmm. They went and reviewed all the designs, the seven different models they had come up with during the war, and they said that was way too many models, and that the model that was supposed to be the Ford was way too heavy, expensive to make, and that became the Mercury. So they had to go into a rush program to develop the 49 Ford. And they had they want a less expensive car to compete with General Motors was putting out, the Chevrolets and such. Yes. The Chevy and Plymouth to compete with that. Mercury was way too expensive to, to make. So E.T. Bob Gregory, uh, we mentioned him before, he had the inside design firm. They also went out for a competition to outside design firm headed by George Walker, who later became a Ford Motor Company executive. Mm-hmm. He had a couple people working for him, Gordon Bullrink who originally was with Duesenberg Cord Auburn. He mm-hmm. designed the uh, Cord, the 810 Cord, which... Uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful automobile. We did a radio show many, many years ago from Auburn, Indiana, at the Auburn Car Duesenberg Museum, and I got to sit in some of those cars and really see them up close. It was really more a piece of art than they were a car, I guess. Yes, and the, he also did the 51 Ford Victoria Hardtop, which mm-hmm. I have. <laughs> but he, uh, another person that worked with him was Dick Galil. He went to people, he didn't know how to do the clay models, so he went to a couple of people that worked for Raymond Lowry's studio. They're famous for the Studebaker designs. Mm-hmm. They had Bob Cotto and Bob Bork. He's designed the spinner for the Studebaker, the big bullet nose. Uh-huh. But they went to them, and they actually built the clay model on Khalil's 
kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> so when they presented these models for executives, they had two from the inside firm, two from the outside firm. There were a total of four four-door sedan clay models to choose from. And they chose the George Walker kitchen. <laughs> kitchen table model. Yes. And, but they did stick the roof and the doors from the E.T. Gregory model <laughs> onto it. So it turned out to be a little bit of a combination. There you go. And that car ended up saving Ford Motor Company because uh, the sales were dropping off badly after the war with all the old models that they were trying to bring out again, the 42s, making them the 46 through 48s, uh-huh. the old designs, uh, the mechanics were, were old. And so these new cars, they were brought out early. The 49s were introduced, the Lincoln and Mercury in April, and the Ford in June. And they actually sold very well. In fact, Mercury outsold Oldsmobile. And there's some rumors that Ford outsold Chevy, but you're depending on if you're looking at the model year or the calendar year. Calendar year. Mm-hmm. But that, like you said, those were basically modern cars. The old cars, the fenders, you could actually unbolt a fender and take it off the car front or back. These cars, the whole car was sort of smoothed in. And everyone has probably seen these cars in the movie Thunder Road, in the movie Grease, more modern. and James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, yeah, what scene was that 49 Ford in? That's uh, in the high school scene when he's coming out and they're starting to have the switchblade fight. Oh, I guess they, they, a bunch of the kids are in a 49 uh, Ford convertible, which uh, now is still around, too. Both those cars are still around, so people have those cars, the, mm-hmm. the Mercury and the Ford. Yeah, those were, were really neat. And most often they were shown as police cars, it seems, in most of the television programs I've ever seen. Yeah, Dragnet had a, a quite a few, I guess, uh, 51 Fords. They had mm-hmm. the police cars with the big bubble on the top. And- there you go. Well, I tell you, we have squandered another perfectly good hour here, and I want to thank Mr. Bob for coming in and doing this show with us. So we They've got a lot of really good information out there. Well, thank you. It was fun. There you go. Today's show just a little different from our normal format of the call-in, question-and-answer show. I hope folks really enjoyed the experiences with Mr. Bob McCarran telling us about some of the old Fords and fixing them up and the history of the Ford Motor Company from a hot rod and bootleggers standpoint of view, if nothing else. Next week, we'll be back live and in person with our normal format. And I'd like to thank everyone who listens to us this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour with a special big thank you to all our podcast listeners who listen on iTunes and iHeart and Stitcher Radio. Hey, why you on? there why don't you go ahead and give us a rating that really helps us out moves up so that lots more people can find out about the automotive hour and that's what it's all about also if you don't mind why don't you tell a friend about the automotive hour if everybody tells somebody we'll double our listeners and that's the best reward i can think of a preceding was opinion based on my experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend remark was made there's a car for me but by then the taillights are all you can see well the fellas ripped me for being behind so i started to make that lincoln unwind I took my foot off the gas, and man alive, I shoved it down into overdrive. Well, I wound it up to 110, twist the speedometer cable off the end. I had my foot feet cleared the floor, says it's all there is, and there ain't no more. Went around a corner and I passed a truck, I whispered a prayer, just for luck. Fenders clicking the guardrail post, the guy beside me were white as gold. I guess they thought I'd lost my sense of telephone poles and looked like a picket fence. They said, slow down, I see spots, the lines in the road just look like dots. Smoke was rolling out in the back when I started to gain on the Cadillac. I knew I could catch him and hope they could pass, but when I did, I'd be short on gas. Went around a corner with the tires on the sides, you could feel the tension, but man, what a ride. I said, hold on, I got a license to fly and a Cadillac below, let me go by. 
When all of a sudden the rods started knocking, went down in a dip and started rocking. I look at my mirror and the red light was blinking. Cops was after my hot rod Lincoln. Well, they arrested me and put me in jail. I called my pop to go my bail. He said, son, you're gonna drive and drink if you don't quit driving that hot rod Lincoln. 